0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming out and on this 23rd of December as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, if you've been tracking along in our sermon series, uh, you know that two weeks ago we preached from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 14, where, where we just explored what it, what it meant for the Word to become flesh and for God to dwell among us. Um, we really just honed in and focused in on that one verse in the Gospel of John, highly theological um, verse and chapter in the Gospel of John. And then the last week, we were in the Gospel of Matthew, looking at a narrative um, about the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and today, we'll round out our Advent series, a reason, The Reason for Hope, uh, by looking at the Gospel of Luke. So we're actually touching on three of the four Gospels, and what do these Gospels say about the birth of Jesus Christ. As you know, last week we, we looked at kind of the perspective of Joseph, and this morning we'll be looking through the perspective of Mary as we consider the Incarnation. So what we're going to do, I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to dive right in and see what the text tells us this morning, see what the text is going to instruct us this morning. And, and we want to be moved and changed by God's Word this morning. So if you want to open your Bible, you can open it up. To chapter 1, and I'll begin in verse 39 of the Gospel of Luke. And just as a preface before I, before I read, I'm, I'm going to be l- focusing in on verse 46 and following, but I wanted to back up a little bit to give our focus, the, our focus verse some more context. So verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In verse 46, Mary responds, My soul magnifies the Lord. And Mary remained with her, that is, Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my, my favorite books um, is called The World Turned Upside Down by Christopher Hill. It's a more of a historical book. I like church history in particular. and I read it in seminary. I, I think the book has a provocative title. Um, The premise of the book is that during the English Revolution of the mid-17th century, while chaos was ensuing, as what war does, it creates chaos, there were smaller Christian sects throughout England who were trying to change the English world and impose their moral ethic on England, right? Um, Things were going nuts, and these particular denominations or sects, if you will, really saw an opportunity to, to see real lasting change in England. And for a while after the English Revolution, these smaller sects proved to be successful, actually. The crown, which is the king or queen, the crown was defeated, and Oliver Cromwell ended up being the, what they called the lord protector of England. Think of like maybe your prime minister as opposed to a king. In, the eyes, in their own eyes at the time, these, these radicals, who were also known as Puritans, had turned the world upside down. Some historians have coined this war as the Puritan Revolution. So much changed in England because of this Puritan Revolution. Here's an American example of the world being turned upside down. World War II generally took place between 1939 and 1945. World War II changed the complexion of the world um, just think about it for a moment, what happened during World War II. We had the rise and fall of Hitler. We had the Holocaust, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and the invasion of Normandy. Just to name a few historical moments and facts of World War II. Um, there there are not any more events in history that had such a wide-ranging effect across the globe. Right, just the Country borders changed as a result of this war. Governments changed as a result of this war. Global politics changed as a result of this war. Get this, an estimated 50 to 80 million people died directly or indirectly because of World War II. World War II turned the world upside down. And there are circumstances personal lives where it seems the world is being turned its head, right? A a friend, a child, or spouse is diagnosed with cancer, right? Think about what that does to individuals or to a family. A close friend or family member unexpectedly dies, right? That that changes things. And the list goes on. The world is turned upside down. What we perceive to be normal is altered. The Bible tells us, of a world that has also been turned upside down. It, d- it tells us of how God entered into time, history, history and tangibility, and took on flesh. Remember, I think John one fourteen took on flesh with the purpose of changing how we are to look at the world, how we are to understand God, and how we are to know our great need to be reconciled to a holy God through Jesus Christ. Even when you read the book of Acts, so after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, right? we see how, we read how Paul and Silas, it literally says, turned the world upside down as they went from city to city, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Acts 17.6. And so, I say all of that because we read this morning a little bit about this upside-down world in the Magnificat, Mary's song to God in Luke 1. What, what we read in the Magnificat is what it looks like for a humble person to come to the Lord in song. And in this song, we see what God's upside-down economy is like because of the advent of Jesus Christ. Morally, it says that Jesus scatters the proud. Socially, it says he lifts up the humble. And spiritually, he fills hungry people with good things. When Jesus was born, think about this. When Jesus was born, everything changed. When Jesus was born, The world was turned upside down. In a world where haughtiness and arrogance abounds, right? We read this morning that Jesus brings the arrogant low and he exalts the humble. He lifts up the lowly in God's economy. In God's economy, the first are last and the last are first. I mean, just just for a moment, consider Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of the Savior of the world. She was, she was a woman born into humble surroundings. It was from nowhere. And there was nothing about her that would suggest a social status above the poverty line. From the perspective of the world, Mary was a nobody. There, there was nothing in, about Mary's life that would suggest... She was going to give birth to a king. We, we get a reminder of this also. Like think King David, right? King David, the the last in a line of uh, men and boys in and in a family, is he was a shepherd. Shepherds weren't highly thought of, and yet God taps him and says, "Yeah, hey, I'm going to use you to accomplish my purposes." And so same thing with Mary, right? God uses Mary. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purpose. So it's pretty remarkable when you stop to think about it. It's not how we generally think in this world. We're looking for people with talents and gifts and name recognition. Uh, not God looking for humble people. So here's how I want us to look at our passage this morning, the song, this Magnificat, song to God. First, I want you to see what it looks like to humbly sing to the Lord. Like I said, the Magnificat is a song. So I I, I know that due to circumstance or Music folks were out of town. We weren't. We didn't sing this morning. But you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, we do sing every Sunday morning as an expression of our adoration and devotion to the Lord. And so, we want to see what what, what it looks like to humbly sing to God. Uh, the second thing I want us want us to see this morning is th- there's something about what is being said. Right? There are specifics. W- what is Mary saying about? God? God we want to allow Mary's words which are a tapestry of woven theology informed by the Old Testament we want her words to instruct our hearts we actually we want these words to move our hearts this morning so the second thing we'll look at is what are these what are these specifics and then third finally we'll see in this song God's utter authority to humble what this world raises up, right? And they kind of think about it as bookends, the third and the first point. They really focus in on humility and that contrast of pride. The, the latter part of this song is an expression of God's utter sovereignty over the world. So, so those are kind of my thoughts about how I'll be driving this message this morning, the Magnificat. That's how I'm going to walk through the text. We do read that the song which Mary breaks out into is in the company of her relative Elizabeth. Right, Elizabeth was also pregnant at the time with John the Baptist. Uh, while there is much we can glean from those verses preceding the Magnificat, um, there are a few few things I want us to just take notice of here. Uh, first, Elizabeth was really old. You know, think um, Abraham, Sarah, right? Sarah became pregnant at a very old age, right? She was past childbearing years. Elizabeth was past childbearing years. Yet God graced her with the gift of pregnancy. In the interaction between Elizabeth and Mary, we about an older woman who is humble because of what God is doing through Mary. Now think about this. Mary's song is about humility in large part. And yet we see in Elizabeth what all, what humility looks like in practice. Listen to her words as she's interacting with Mary. Blessed are you among women, Elizabeth says to Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Who responds like that, right? If I had the pers- Privilege to look down at their meet the meeting, I, I would have been stunned by the fact that Elizabeth was pregnant because of her age. If anyone should be rejoicing and saying, Look at what God has done to me, it would have been Elizabeth. Mary, on the other hand, by all accounts, in the first century was, was, was her pregnancy was normal, take save the the miraculous conception part, right? But her age was normal. No one would have looked at Mary and been like, well, that's you. But but Elizabeth over there? My goodness. How old are you when you're pregnant? And Yet, Elizabeth is humble. Here's how one commentator expresses the attitude of, of Elizabeth. We should not miss the absence of all jealousy in Elizabeth's attitude to Mary. The older woman, had received such a signal blessing from the Lord might well have tried to guard her position jealously but in genuine humility she recognizes the greater blessing God had given to Mary Elizabeth knows the significance of what God is doing in Mary she even calls the baby in Mary's womb my Lord before Jesus takes a breath of air, before he performs a miracle, before his stunning and life-changing teachings, before he would take the hard road of suffering and death, Elizabeth calls him my Lord. Uh, I said this last week, and I'm going to repeat it right here. It would do our souls well to have this childlike faith. To look at Mary, excuse me, to look at Elizabeth and say, wow, what faith. She's believing in the promises of God here. So after the exchange of joy and pleasantries between Mary and Elizabeth, Mary breaks out into song. Mary's song is laced with Old Testament language. She sees what God has done to redeem Israel and she understands what God continues to do to save. He's going to fulfill his promises. Verse 46 and 47 should instruct our worship, our singing to God. Here's how. Even though Mary sings in the first person, she focuses all of her attention on God. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. More literally, it's Mary saying, uh, my my soul makes great the Lord, and my soul enlarges the Lord. She she wants greater capacity. She wants more capacity to bring praise to God. Cries out and sings out. My soul brings him glory and honor and praise. And she wants to continue to do that and wants more of that. What the Greek language indicates in verse 46 and 47 is that the entire being of Mary magnifies and rejoices in God. It's, it's not just the words that came out of her mouth. It's not just her lips which bring forth the words. It's not just her hands raised in worship. Every part of Mary approaches God with awe and wonder. So the question is this. Do we approach God with our entire being? Do we approach God with awe and wonder when we gather together on Sundays? Right? God's desire for you is to magnify Jesus and to do so in song. God's desire for you is to rejoice in what God has done in the face of Jesus Christ. On Sundays, when we gather together, We come to corporately celebrate and sing what God has done. On Sundays, uh, they need to be a time to magnify God and rejoice because of God. Without question, Mary sang her song with the song of Hannah on her mind. Uh, you might remember Hannah was the mother of the prophet Samuel. Think think Old Testament, first and second Samuel. And she too gave glory to God in song because of a much desired pregnancy. Her, her pregnancy was a lot like Elizabeth and, and Sarah uh, from the Old Testament. She was older and she was well past childbearing years. So that, but she gives us this song of thanksgiving. Here are just a few verses from this beautiful song. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord. You can kind of. You can kind of hear that Mary knows this particular part of the scriptures. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God, Hannah says. Within Hannah came a child who would serve the Lord, Samuel. And within Mary would come the greater servant, Jesus. Jesus. Again, we see from Hannah and especially from Mary how our worship from within is focused out and up to God. They're focused on God and they, and they go toward God. This is a good moment to say this. Ryan Anderson, who's been doing our worship since we started this church plant, does an excellent job of picking songs. Right and here's, here's why I say that. He goes through every verse, every chorus, every line, making sure that these songs a have good theology, and B, these songs are first and foremost about God. And I appreciate that about Ryan and what he's done in our worship into leading us to God, not leading us to himself, and not leading us to ourselves, but leading us to God. So that's what we see with Hannah, especially, you know, Mary's song to God this morning. First and foremost, about God. In verses 48 to 50, we read more of the substance of Mary's song, right? Again, in God's upside down world, he looks upon Mary's humble estate in verse 48. St. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians to live for my money, him and John Calvin, Augustine said this about humility. For those who would learn God's ways. So, do you want to learn God's ways? Well, here it is. For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second, and humility is the third If we are going to rejoice in who God is, we must come in humility. Mary, in humility, rejoices in three particular characteristics or attributes of God, right? She names them. First, she says that God is powerful or mighty. God is holy and God is merciful. Now, let's just quickly think about these three characteristics of God as they come through the Magnificat. We sing the words in verse 49 often in our church, especially during the Advent season. For he who is mighty has done a great thing, right? More literally in the text. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, Mary says. These words mean that we rejoice in the miracle of the virgin conception of Jesus. The virgin conception of Jesus happened because of the power of God, as I said in more, more detail last you, you can't rationalize your way to the virgin conception of Jesus. If you insist upon a rational ex- explanation, you're actually committing the sin of pride. You, you, you end up turning the focus of your song in upon yourself. however, if you believe with your entire being that God is mighty and powerful, then you will see that the God who created the universe and who caused a woman of lowly estate to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit is worthy of your devotion and praise. Also in verse 49, again, quickly just kind of going through some of these characteristics or attributes that mary sings about verse 49 mary says that god is holy god is set apart from every other being that's what holy literally means god is set apart especially set apart from sin uh, we are called to approach god and i think mary approaches god here with reverence because god is holy and so may our hearts understand the holiness of God. May the, may the Holy Spirit inform our hearts of God's purity and holy splendor. As a result, may we bow down to God in adoration. It, it, something about the holiness of God is, is not unique in the Bible. Actually, there's some very notable verses in the Bible that where, where God's holiness is sung about. Uh, in particular, Isaiah 6, right? The seraphim say this holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of your glory and to wait the point we just go to revelation 4 8 holy 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 three times again is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come the humble come to god in their lowly estate To declare that God is holy. He is other than. The third characteristic that is explicitly stated by Mary is God's mercy. Verse 50. The mercy of God shows up five times in this chapter. Um, God's mercy is for those who fear him. It says from generation to generation. uh, God's mercy has no relation to time. No limitation in time. Whom God loves, he loves to the end. And not only to their end, to their death but to God's end, and His end is that He might love them still. When God, Listen, this is really important. When God extends His electing mercy upon a person, he or she is secured and loved for all time and for all eternity. So when we these three characteristics of God together in our worship. We see that the sovereign God who is above all is entirely holy and other than from his creation. And God has proven himself to be merciful. And his mercy is most clearly seen when God withheld punishment and death that we deserve because of our sin. And God put that burden upon his one and only son. So I don't, I don't know how much Mary knew about how the mercy of God was going to unfold through the child in her womb. But her words about the mercy of God are a declaration about what he has done, what, what God has done, and what he continues to do because of his deep love for his people. So, worshiping God we read it means coming to God in humility and declaring His might and power His holiness and, and, and His mercy and praise God we do that here at Redemption Hill Church we may not sing the Magnificat specifically you know word for word although there there are verses that we take out of the scripture and put them in a song a lot of hymns as well, um, but we love singing about the power of God, the holiness of God, and the mercy of God. Uh, verse 51 marks a transition in Mary's song of praise. She, she moves, I think, from personal reflection and adoration to reflection, and there's this prophetic exaltation. Uh, she's looking back at what God has done, knowing full well that God will continue to be true and faithful. In the Magnificat, we see this this unique combination in Mary of of a historian. She knows her Old Testament history well, so she's somewhat of a historian and and a prophet. What we read is of a great moral reversal in God's upside-down world. It says that he scatters the proud, verse 51, and God brings down the mighty, verse 52. The proud, who Mary referenced, were literally the ones showing themselves preeminent. I'm better than you, at least if not saying it, they're walking around acting like it. They were they were strutting proud, the arrogant, the conceited. They were first proud in the thoughts of their hearts, as it says, as they inwardly plotted and schemed to perpetuate their arrogance. And oftentimes these people in the first century were religious. May that be a warning for us. May we not be religious and proud. May we not come to church constantly judging. May we be a people who approaches God in humility. This goes to show you. That nothing changes from one generation to the next. Until Jesus comes back, because of sin. This is what we see. Proud people everywhere. Religious and non-religious. In contrast, God's people acknowledge their lowly position and therefore are exalted by God. God's people are spiritually needy and hungry. But in their need and hunger, God fills their souls Here's another way God has turned the world upside down in Christ. Get this. A person who knows they are spiritually hungry for God is healthy, right? I, listen, I, my life, there's ups and downs, ebbs and flows. Sometimes my relationship with God feels great. Other, other days, it's like, oh, man, wh- what's going on right now? You know, let I me mean, just try to be real with you for a moment. But here's the deal. Do you hunger for God, regardless of where you're at in your spiritual walk? Do you hunger for more of God? If so, that's a sign of health. Why? Because there's always more of God for us. God always has more of himself to give. May we declare with Psalm 63, "O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, right? It's like walking through a desert and all you think about is water. May we be that kind of people as we thirst for more of God. Psalm 63 continues, My, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, like I just said. The, the arrogant and proud do not approach God like this. The arrogant and proud think they got it figured out. The humble Come knowing their great need for God. So before we eat in a, in a few minutes and enjoy physical food, which is gracious of God to provide for us and to enjoy, may, but before we do that, maybe first feed our souls with more of God. What does Mary tell us about the rich in this passage? Those who think they got it figured out and rejected God, right? Well, they're sent away empty, Verse 53. Oh, material possessions may build up. The stocks keep working in their favor. and pride, everything's figured out, right? However, one day, there will be a reckoning. God once again will prove himself to be faithful and true. God the Son will come back at the second Advent. This morning, we're celebrating the first Advent of Jesus, but... God will come back at the second advent to finally and fully redeem and renew his chosen people and his creation. But until that day, as we live between these two advents, God will help the church just as he's always helped his people. We read that in verse 54. God is with his people. God helps his people. I I don't want you to hear a message of doom and gloom this morning, right? However, it is no accident that Mary sings these words right before she gives birth to the Son of God. With the Son of God, the world has received hope. The Magnificat is first and foremost a message of hope. The reason we can have hope this Advent and every day is because of what God has done in Christ. Because of what God has done in Christ, this world has been turned upside down, which causes a believer in Christ to rejoice. Humbly, we rejoice in God's power, His holiness and mercy. We rejoice knowing that God is for us. We, We rejoice because a baby became a man who was on Mission to redeem and restore broken and needy people. So may we be a church who comes knowing that we're broken and that we need more of God. And so we cry out to him, we sing to him, God, we want more of you, and we thank you. Let's pray.